another bombshell for the royal family. As we learned in the last episode, Charles is no stranger to scandal. ...to give potentially damaging testimony about Prince Charles. A long-time mistress of Prince Charles... On a and throughout it all, he's always had his mother's good image and popularity to lean back on. In fact, most of the scandals the monarchy has had to face during the Queen's reign haven't really been about the Queen herself, most have to do with her own children. Princess Diana says that she has changed her mind and has reluctantly agreed to divorce her husband of 11 years, Prince Charles. Britain's exactly. Princess Anne is divorcing her husband after 19 years of marriage. The scandal surrounding Prince Andrew, who appeared unshaken in public, while she's been at the helm of the royal family, the queen and the palace she rules over have successfully managed these PR crises. And despite the media frenzies, the long-term damage to the monarchy and to the brand has appeared minimal. Her reign is record-breaking, her image iconic. Nearly every leader who you analyze loses popularity the longer they're around. Not with the queen. This isn't your average monarch. But eventually, it will be Charles's turn to lead the family through good headlines and bad. What happens when a child who's brought so many scandals from his personal life into the public realm has to take on the job of maintaining the very same public image he's been accused of tarnishing, however inadvertently, over the years? How will Charles handle a crisis when it's his time to rule, especially ones not of his own making. There was the sense that negative headlines are overshadowing the Queen's Platinum Jubilee year. The Metropolitan Police has announced it's launched an investigation into the cash for honours allegations linked to Prince Charles's charity, the Prince's Foundation. The development comes in the wake of Prince Andrew's out-of-court settlement with Virginia Dufresne. Silence from the royal family after Harry and Meghan's bombshell allegation I'm Keir Simmons, and this is Born to Rule. Episode 4, Power and the Palace. When Charles becomes king, he'll inherit the crown and the burden of responsibility to protect the monarchy from challenges that could sully its sheen. For some help understanding the recent scandals Charles and the monarchy at large will have to weather, I reached out to Tom Bauer. I'm here now. It's, you know, Tom, publish and be damned Bauer, I think is the right description. Well, <laughs> being damned seems to be quite frequent. Tom Bauer's a writer who's made it his business to publish the unauthorised biographies of some of the UK's most famous people. He's also quite posh himself. He's married to a woman who recently became a baroness. And because of his position in society, people very close to, and even part of, the royal family are sometimes willing to talk to him. Take, for example, what Tom says Charles's sister, Princess Anne, said to Tom when they were first introduced. I was introduced to Anne at Ascot by Andrew Parker Bowles. That's Andrew Parker Bowles, as in the ex-husband of Camilla Parker Bowles, who remains quite close to the royal family to this day. And Parker Bowles said to uh, Anne, he said, oh, this is Tom Bauer, he's writing about your brother, Prince Charles. 
to which Anne said, why are you doing that? So I thought I'd flatter her. And so he's a very interesting, remarkable man. To which Anne said to me, rubbish. Tom has written books about influential people like Tony Blair and Richard Branson. He chooses who to write about based on a few important criteria. I think the thing about people like really interested is they're famous, they're powerful, invariably they're rich, but they're very flawed. And they have skeletons which they prefer us not to know about. And I see my job as finding the information which embarrasses them because then one can challenge them and make them um, justify their own position. Yes, just as an aside, I'm, I'm calling this my I'll Never Get a Knighthood podcast. <laughs> well, shame on you for wanting one. <laughs> so, Tom, one of the things that is so gripping about what you have to say is that you never lack detail. Can you tell us a bit about your reporting process? Well, I suppose in a nutshell, I always look for the victims because the people who have been uh, damaged by the subjects of my books are the people who clearly will want to tell their side of the story. Tom interviewed over 120 people for his book about Charles, released in 2018 and titled Rebel Prince. And he told me that some of his sources were people who had once worked for the prince and felt loyalty to Charles, but were ultimately disappointed by the way they were treated. When Tom's book was published, Clarence House said they would not respond to questions about it. He's a very flawed prince, and the flaws are very well concealed by his ruthless um, dismissal of those who don't satisfy him, and he expected them not to speak against him. His misfortune was, I persuaded a large number of them to speak after all. The thing you have to say about Tom Bauer is that he has a way of saying very critical things very few others would say. But he'll say it as if he's ordering breakfast, totally dispassionately. And his book is no different. It paints a portrait of Prince Charles as out of touch and short-tempered. But don't be fooled. Despite the strong words he has for Prince Charles, Tom is also quintessentially British. By that, I mean he both deeply believes in the monarchy, as many Brits do, and believes it is in no way disrespectful to criticise them mercilessly. Speaking truth to power, and if they don't like it, tough. You've got to separate the institution from the people. I'm a monarchist because it has served Britain very well. Uh, and on the whole, the monarchs have been able to symbolise and unite the best of British qualities and the British people more than any politician can over a much longer period. The problem with Charles and money and reward is that he has run a pretty feudal court and it was easy at the beginning for him to raise money from corporations and rich individuals, but he spent far too much. He was reckless with money, and he needed more. And then discovered America. He began tapping into American billionaires who were prepared to pay $200,000, $500,000 to sit next to him at dinner. 
And that money went into his charities, uh, not for himself, but it went into his, so to speak, good causes. For years, his charities, like the Prince's Foundation, attracted scrutiny in the British media for alleged quid pro quo, basically trading access to the Prince in exchange for donations. According to a report from the Times in London, one wealthy businessman quickly got into Charles's inner circle after a series of large donations. This would not be illegal, but it would be frowned upon by the establishment, including the royal family. Last year, a new allegation about Prince Charles and his charities hit the headlines. The Metropolitan Police have launched an investigation to cash for honours allegations linked to Prince Charles's charity, the Prince's Foundation. The media is calling this latest scandal cash for honours. Now, if you Google the phrase cash for honours, it won't all have to do with Charles. There was an earlier scandal of the same name involving members of parliament back in the early 2000s. But this latest cash for honours scandal, the concerns it raises have everything to do with how Charles handles a crisis. And it's casting a shadow over Prince Charles, even as the Jubilee celebrations have been underway this year. And it's also led the Metropolitan Police, aka Scotland Yard, to open an investigation into one of the Prince's charities. We asked Prince Charles's press office at Clarence House if he's been contacted by the police about this and were told, quote, we would not comment on an ongoing police investigation. A spokesperson for the Metropolitan Police confirmed the investigation is ongoing and they, quote, will not be providing a running commentary on its progress. The Metropolitan Police says it's waiting for further contact about claims one of Prince Charles's closest aides exchanged cash for an honour for a charity donor. And if the allegation is true, it would mean someone who worked for Charles may have crossed a line and broken the law, violating the UK's Honours Prevention of Abuses Act, 1925. What is troubling about this story is the potential conduct of some of those closest to him and how they've maybe been using his name and title. Let's step back for a moment, my dear listeners. Honours are a distinctly British thing. Basically, centuries ago, the royal family developed ways of rewarding acts of service and loyalty, called honours. Now, there's a wide range of honours that can be bestowed on a person, from an Order of the British Empire, or OBE, to a life peerage, to a knighthood, which, as you've heard, I believe I'm no longer in the running for, if I ever was. And while some honours are passed down through family, others can be granted by the Queen through a nomination process. And here's where the story gets tricky, because, allegedly, someone at the Prince's Foundation arranged a potentially illegal quid pro quo for a very large donation from an Anglophile Saudi businessman named Mahfouz Marai Mubarak bin Mahfouz. Mahfouz Marai Mubarak, who gave £1.5 million to help restore buildings like Dumfries House in Ayrshire. Specifically, the allegation here is that someone at the foundation offered to help Mahfouz secure British citizenship and a knighthood. Mahfouz denied any wrongdoing to multiple outlets, including in a February 2022 article in the New York Times, and reportedly he withdrew his application for citizenship. Also, we should note the Prince's Foundation has declined to comment while there's an ongoing investigation. The one guy front and centre in the headlines, 
is one of Prince Charles's closest advisors, a man named Michael Fawcett. Prince Charles's right-hand man, Michael Fawcett, embroiled in yet another scandal. Michael Fawcett, who it's alleged made promises to Saudi businessman Mahfouz Marai Mubarak. The palace says Prince Charles had no knowledge of the alleged offers. Hey guys, Willie Geist here, reminding you to check out the Sunday Sit-Down Podcast. On this week's episode, I get together with seven-time Grammy winner Casey Musgraves to talk about the inspiration for her new album, the process she uses to write those beautiful songs, and finding success while bucking convention in Nashville. You can get our conversation now for free wherever you download your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Jenna Bush Hager from Today with Hoda and Jenna and the Read with Jenna book club. There's nothing I love more than sharing my favorite reads with all of you, except maybe talking to the exceptional authors behind these stories. And that's what I'll be doing on my podcast, Read with Jenna. I'll be introducing you to some of my favorite writers. These conversations will leave you feeling inspired and entertained. To start listening, just search Read with Jenna wherever you get your podcasts. Michael Fawcett is an astonishing individual in many ways. That's Tom Bauer again. In the sense that Michael Fawcett knows all the secrets. Michael Fawcett could destroy Charles's monarchy with just a, a two-minute speech. That's quite a way to characterize a man. And while we, of course, can't say what Fawcett might know about Charles, we do know he's been in the prince's orbit for decades. He started his career with the royal family, first as an aide and later as Charles's personal valet. For those of you who don't watch Downton Abbey, valets are like butlers, taking care of daily duties, like laying out clothing, for instance. While Fawcett hasn't worked directly for the prince since 2003, in 2018 he was made chief executive of the prince's foundation. Then... After the Cash for Honours scandal broke... Michael Fawcett has stepped down from his role as the head of the Prince's Foundation. Fawcett resigned late last year. He knows everything that Charles has done. He knows all his weaknesses. He knows where every skeleton is buried. And to that extent, he is an amazingly dangerous man for Charles. But at the same time, someone who Charles, by definition, can trust because Fawcett has been remarkably discreet. I mean, is that explained by the description you just gave of Michael Fawcett, who knows so much? What explains that his, I suppose you could say, really dependence, I'm not the first person to say it, on, on this one valet? Well, Charles's relationship with Michael Fawcett is explained by, firstly, that Fawcett knows everything that Charles needs to make a happy life for Charles. Fawcett makes Charles's life easy because he knows that Charles wants to change his shirt three times a day. He knows which socks he wants. He knows which toothpaste he wants. And you've got to remember, when Charles visits various people around Britain, his arrival is foreshadowed the day or two days before by a truck that brings his bed, his water, his paintings, his whiskey everything he needs, and Fawcett arranges that. So Fawcett's amazingly important just for Charles's domestic life. But perhaps the most important question when it comes to Michael Fawcett and the cash for honours allegations 
is whether the British people care. I'm here with my friend, journalist and broadcaster, Carol Malone. Can we call you voice of the people? Is that allowed or is that... Well, as long as that's all you call me, that's fine, yeah. Yeah, that's polite <laughs> to what you usually call me, but anyway. I recently caught up with Carol Malone near the palace on a very British rainy afternoon. I can't podcast. wait to get away from you to tell people. <laughs> big interview, big podcast, and it's raining. <laughs> She's a columnist for the Daily Express, a British tabloid known for its royal coverage. She's known for being outspoken and often controversial. I joke with her about being the voice of the people, but really, I do think of her as someone who gets what the average Brit thinks about the monarchy. Does a guy down the pub care about the Cash for Honours scandal? I think they care about that because that goes to decency and honesty and integrity. I think the man in the pub does care about that. I think he has a very basic a basic belief as far as that concerned. You know, you don't cheat, you don't lie, you don't, you don't do people out of things. Of course, he's always said that he's nothing to do with it, doesn't know anything about it. It's true, and Jonathan Dimbleby, his biographer, also said it's inconceivable that he would have had anything to do with that. I mean, he knows Charles probably better than most people. But Tom Bauer disagrees with the assertion that Charles didn't know what Michael Fawcett might have been up to. There is no way that Charles did not know and does not know of every donation and the circumstances which Fawcett uh, established to get the money. He, he is a person who wants to know every detail. There's no way that Fawcett could do anything without Charles knowing. We reached out to Clarence House, Charles's London residence, and home to his press office. They sent us the following statement on the allegations. The Prince of Wales has no knowledge of the alleged offer of honours or British citizenship on the basis of donation to his charities and fully supports the investigation now underway. But if Tom is right, if there was illegal activity and it turns out Charles did know what was going on, this would be an egregious misuse of power from someone in the royal family. The Cash for Honours scandal isn't the first time Fawcett's been in the headlines. Despite a series of controversies, including bullying allegations in 1998, he was repeatedly brought back into the royal fold. He's been accused of bullying people he worked with, accusations he denied. Then, in 2003, he was in the headlines again, suspected of selling royal gifts, things like expensive watches, for profit. There was a widely publicised internal investigation. He was dubbed force at the fence and accused of selling unwanted gifts. And in 2003, the New York Times reported that no serious wrongdoing had been uncovered. How does Michael Fawcett manage to disappear and then reappear? Can you take us through that? Take us through that history and process. Michael Fawcett has been fired three times in his career with Prince Charles, but Charles has always been remarkably loyal because he fears what Fawcett would say if he was cast out completely. Paid Fawcett a lot of money, uh, employed Fawcett indirectly. Uh, as a freelance, and will never, ever abandon Fawcett. Charles will always be loyal to him. He needs Fawcett's silence. He needs his loyalty, and for that, uh, he'll do anything. Fawcett would, of course, utterly deny and say all of that's wrong and unfair. Fawcett would say that he has served Charles loyally, faithfully, 
24 hours a day uh, and has done his very, very best. His misfortune is that he's accused uh, because of the way he has behaved of being an agent of Charles's selfishness and even sleaze. We tried to reach Michael Fawcett for comment, but were not able to make contact. And this isn't the only running with the law the firm has had to face in recent years. We just can't talk about the scandals facing Charles without next turning to his brother, Prince Andrew. Hi, I'm Nick Friedman. And I'm Lee Alec Murray. And this is The Anime Effect. We're a brand new podcast breaking down the anime and fandom news you care about and revealing just how powerful the effect of anime really is. Every week, we're breaking down the latest anime community developments and what it means for us fans. But we won't stop at just anime. We'll dig into other fandoms we can't get enough of and invite guests we know you'll recognize to join in the discussion. Whether you're a dedicated anime fan or a casual viewer, we want you to experience the anime effect. Tune into The Anime Effect starting February 16th. The Anime Effect is brought to you by Crunchyroll and Sony Music Entertainment. Watch complete episodes on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. They say you can choose your friends, but not your family. Well, if you're royal, you can choose your friends and your staff, but you still can't choose your family, even if you're the Prince of Wales. A huge royal scandal has been focused on Charles's younger brother, Prince Andrew. Here are the basics. Prince Andrew has ties to the deceased sex offender, Jeffrey Epstein, and convicted sex trafficker, Ghislaine Maxwell. One of Epstein's alleged victims, Virginia Dufry, says she was directed to have sex with Prince Andrew when she was only 17. NBC's Savannah Guthrie interviewed her on Dateline in 2019. Prince Andrew got me alcohol. It was in the VIP section. It was, I'm pretty sure it was vodka. Prince Andrew was like, let's dance together. And I was like, okay. And, and we leave Club Tramp. And I'd hop in the car with Ghislaine and Jeffrey. And Ghislaine said he's coming back to the house. And I want you to do for him what you do for Epstein. After these allegations emerged, Prince Andrew gave an interview on the BBC, adamantly denying any wrongdoing. I can tell you categorically, I don't remember meeting her at all. But for many watching the interview, Prince Andrew came off looking like he lacked credibility. For me, it just showed that he's very arrogant. He didn't express an iota of sympathy for these young girls. That was a disaster. And in the aftermath, there were consequences. I covered the story for NBC News. His mother, the Queen, stripped Prince Andrew of his military titles and patronages. He has managed to avoid a trial, which I would think would have been 
probably one of the most damaging encounters that the royal family has had in recent memory. Considering Tom Bower's unapologetic criticism of Charles, I wondered, what would he have to say about Andrew? I don't think you can compare Andrew and Charles. I mean, Charles is an intelligent, hypersensitive man who really has an agenda to do good. Prince Andrew is a stupid, arrogant, ignorant oaf who um, has totally insensitive about the position which he has been born into, totally compromised the royal family, done terrible damage by his outrageous behavior. They're two completely different people, and they don't get on. Charles has damaged the royal family by his behavior, but not in the same way. We reached out to Buckingham Palace, and they declined to comment. On February 15th, it was announced that Andrew had settled the lawsuit brought against him by Virginia Jufri. And on March 8th, a judge agreed to dismiss the lawsuit against Andrew after the payment was received. Andrew has not admitted any guilt. At the time of the settlement, a representative for Andrew declined to comment, and a Buckingham Palace official also declined to comment, saying it's a matter for the Duke and his legal team. But it appears Andrew continues to have some degree of support from the monarch and matriarch of the family, the Queen. She famously has a soft spot for him. At the memorial for Prince Philip, the Queen had Prince Andrew on her arm, just weeks after the settlement was completed with Virginia Jufri. Queen arriving with her son, Prince Andrew, a rare public appearance for a prince at the centre of controversy. Carol Malone sees it as one of those classic royal points of tension where personal loyalties, family ties and public duties simply don't fit together well. But one that Charles will be able to manage. Charles is having to take the role of big brother now. You know, he's deeply embarrassed about Andrew's relationship with Epstein. He's having to make tough decisions with his brother, so you can only imagine what their private lives are like. Is Andrew going to be an issue for Charles as king? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. I think you Andrew, don't think so? I don't think Andrew's... Well, he just goes away and hides? Well, I mean, he, he goes, if you just ask me a question, let me answer it and I'll tell you. <laughs> um, what happens is... He's never seen again in public, and, and Charles will make sure that happens. You know, Never seen again in public? I, How he, do you do that? I, I don't think he'll allow him to go to any ceremonial event. In the way the Queen uh, um, had Andrew on her arm when she went to Philip's memorial, I don't think that would happen. He sort Charles. of seemed to push in at that memorial, didn't he? No, I don't think he pushed in. I think the Queen was making a point, and in and, and many ways... You think the Queen was making a yeah, point? Yeah, I do, Despite I do. everything about yeah. Andrew. See, here's the funny thing. So yeah. we all love the Queen, and yet she has this love for Andrew, even to the yes. point of wanting him to be seen on remember, her arm. But remember what that... Despite occasion. everything he's done. Sure, calm down. But, but, <laughs> but remember, remember what happened was, that was his dad's memorial. I believe the Queen made a point because she would have known the family's opposition to that. And she would have just said, this is his dad, this is his father, this is the last goodbye. Of course he had to be there. I mean, I heard lots of arguments at the time saying maybe he shouldn't have been quite so front and centre. But, you know... When will the Queen appear in public with Andrew ever again? Never, probably. Just days after we spoke, Andrew announced he had COVID, so would miss the Jubilee celebrations. And because of mobility issues, the Queen pulled out of a church service where Andrew had been expected to attend. But even without Andrew, clouds still hang over the monarchy. 
The questions over the monarchy now are getting much bigger. Prince Charles, so can he survive this latest scandal? I think it's important for the monarchy not to assume that the goodwill which exists undoubtedly for the Queen on a personal basis will necessarily transfer. Do the problems of Prince Charles that you've described personally, do they disappear when he becomes King Charles or are they amplified? I think that the problems of Prince Charles over the last 50 years have been mitigated and buried in the very recent years because he's realised that to become king, he must be uncontroversial. And therefore, he has changed his way of life dramatically to avoid the criticism which would have happened if he'd become king, let us say, three or four years ago. The real problem for Charles is public indifference, especially amongst young people. Um, a monarchy can only survive because the population wants it and supports it and appreciates it. The question really is, can Charles keep the monarchy popular enough for there to be a smooth succession to William, his son? This year, as the Queen celebrated her 70 years on the throne, with Prince Charles and Prince William, and even little George by her side, thoughts of succession loomed large, and so did questions about the future of the monarchy. Gradually, as the Queen has been withdrawing from public life, Charles and um, the other royals, Anne and the Wessexes, have stepped in. And of course, uh, William and Kate are absolutely critical to that operation. The transition will not start with the Queen dies. It started at least three years ago, uh, and it has been very, very cleverly orchestrated and managed, and would have been perfect if Harry and Meghan hadn't decided to throw spanners in the works. Throwing spanners in the works is the British version of talking about throwing a wrench into something. And the wrench Tom's referring to is Prince Harry and his wife Meghan Markle's decision in 2020 to move to the US. Carol Malone thinks this has actually been one of the biggest challenges the family has had to face in recent years. I think the Andrew challenge is much easier. You will never again appear at Remembrance Sunday. He will never be on the balcony. He will never be at a royal celebration or photographed. He may be inside the palace, but he's not going to be on show ever again. That he's forfeited that right. So that so that's an easy problem to manage. You know, it just it, it's a headline, Andrew Band, whatever, that's in a box. Mm. The other, the Harry problem is, is much more difficult because of course he loves his son. He might be disappointed with him. He might be angry with him. He will not want this to be the end of their relationship. But this interesting thing, isn't it? Because this is where, which all the royals have, there's this tension between the private person and the public person. Mm. Charles as a father is not the same as Charles as a king. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. But Charles doesn't have the problems of a normal father. He has a problem of the monarchy to protect. And if, and if protecting that institution that his mother has worked for and promoted all her life, and that will now then be his job, he has a duty to protect that. So what role does Harry play in a modern monarchy? Can the brothers mend the rift? Like his mother before him, as Charles prepares to be king, he might face a new set of challenges from his own children. It is 
the end of Harry and Meghan as a central part, a core part of the royal family. Harry describes a strained relationship with the British press and members of the royal family. How potentially damaging is this for the royal family? Sir, have you spoken to your brother since the interview? <laughs> no, I haven't spoken to him yet, but I will do. You can see all the crowds around me. You see the big shining lights behind me uh, down in front of Buckingham Palace. The Queen's appearing on the balcony. I just was thinking, what must be going through yes. her mind? That's next time on Born to Rule. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you've heard, please give Born to Rule, When Charles is King, a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Born to Rule is produced by Ursula Summer. Our story editor is Lacey Roberts. Associate producers are Rachel Young and Nina Bismano. Ernie Indrida is our audio engineer. Original music by John Estes and additional music by Brian Robertson and MJ Hancock. Production help by producer Abe Selby. Joseph Frischmith is our fact-checker. Kiko Itasaka and Carol Marquis are our coordinating producers. Bryson Barnes is our technical director. Mina Kothoria is our executive producer. Reed Cherlin is managing editor. Soraya Gage, general manager. And Madeline Harringer, our head of editorial.